I invite you to stand now as we come uh, to the reading of God's Word this morning. As we, as we end our time in the Gospel of Luke, as we turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse uh, 39. Let us stand. Let us hear the Word of the living and the true God. In Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? They did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us these holy words on this day, God, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would not only apply these words under our hearts, but dear God, that you would use them to grow us in our love for you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As I noted with the children, it's, it's somewhat strange uh, to think about Jesus learning things. We testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the very God of very God. That He is eternal, not made. That there never has been a time and there never will be a time when Jesus will not be the second person of the Holy Trinity. And we also testify that God knows all things. So how is it that Jesus, who is God incarnate, could learn anything? It seems somewhat of a strange thing at first. But it's important as we come to this passage that we also think about the reality of who Jesus is. That as we confess uh, that Jesus Christ is both the Son of God... And He is man. That He's fully God and fully man. Uh, That in every way that He is God, He is God. And in every way He is man, He is man. 
And again, this can somewhat uh, sound kind of this kind of kind of esoteric things that you know theologians yell at each other in conferences and things, but it's a very important uh, testimony to developing our own understanding of our salvation, of understanding the Jesus whom we worship. Now, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the uh, Shorter Catechism questions on uh, Jesus, you know, question 20 through 30, basically. And in question 22, the question is, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? And the answer to the question is, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, yet without sin. And the first two things we spent time on a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, you know, talking about what it means that Jesus Christ had a true body and a reasonable soul. And each one of those things is, is vital understanding to what Luke is doing here at the end of chapter 2. Again, he's teaching Theophilus, he's teaching the readers of his gospel what they are to understand about Jesus. That yes, he is divine. And yes, he is man. And he is man in every way that we are. And again, none of us were born with a full amount of education in our head. I don't know about you, but none of my children came out of the womb being able to speak English. None of my children came out of the womb being able to do math. Something that had to be instructed to them. Now, most of our children learn to speak through example, right? Through listening to their mother and their father, listening to how they speak to one another. It's interesting, in, in my own family history, my grandmother actually learned German before she learned English. And that's because that's what her mom and dad spoke in the home. And, and she always was confused when they would go out in public because then she couldn't understand her parents anymore. You see, because when they went out in public, they spoke English. But in the home, they spoke German. And it took a while for her to, to figure this out. And she talks about when she was a little girl that she would speak kind of this German-English hybrid language. Because she wasn't completely sure about which one was which and that there was a difference between the two. And she had to be taught that German and English were separate languages. Well, for Jesus, as He's growing up, as He is growing in knowledge, you know, think about His own life. And his parents would have been speaking Aramaic in the home. They also would have been speaking Greek in public. Because that was kind of the, the language of the day, a public discourse. But also, when he went to the synagogue on Saturday, you know, what was the rabbi speaking? Well, of course, he was reading to them from the Hebrew Bible, and he was preaching to them in Hebrew. It's one of the interesting things, of course, of growing up in an area where it's multilingual. It's amazing how well children can learn language and learn it quickly at a young age. And so Jesus is learning Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew from the time He was born. And He grows up in these things and He's able as an adult 
to both speak uh, Greek when it is time to speak Greek and Aramaic when it was time to speak Aramaic and Hebrew when he was speaking to the rabbis. And, and why does that matter? Again, why does it matter that Jesus was able to speak three languages? Why does it matter that he learned these things? Well, again, go back to the catechism question. Again, it says that Jesus had a reasonable soul. Right? He had a true body. Again, Jesus is just like we are. But again, the catechism gives us a caveat, of course. What's the difference between uh, Jesus Christ in the flesh and us in the flesh? For Jesus Christ did not have sin. Right? He had a reasonable soul and a true body, yet without sin. When we think about that, you know, how did that affect Jesus as he's growing up, as he's a toddler, as he's an infant, as he is a teenager? Well, again, think about you know, our own dealings with toddlers and with teenagers. You know, one of the things we hear in the passage this morning in Luke chapter 2 in verse 51 and, you know, it's an important thing that Luke tells us. In verse 51 it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And this isn't a throwaway line of Luke. You know, why does he include that? Well, remember, Jesus was here for a purpose, as he tells Mary earlier in the passage. He was here to be about his father's business. He was here being about his father's business. And what is he engaged in? He's being engaged in obedience to the law of God. And being in obedience to the law of God means that he followed the fifth commandment. And that's what Luke's telling us here. Is he was subject to Mary and Joseph. That when Mary and Joseph told Jesus to, to clean up his room, what did Jesus do? He cleaned his room up. When Mary and Joseph told Jesus uh, that it was time to go to bed, what did Jesus do? He went to bed. And again, this isn't you know, meant to be kind of silly. You know, this is a vital testimony to the nature of who Jesus is. That at every second of every day of His life, from the time He was conceived in the womb until He went to the cross, He was obedient to the law of God. In every jot and tittle, in every way possible, Jesus was obedient to the law. And again, this matters because if Jesus had spoken poorly or against the commands of Mary and Joseph, what would he have done? Well, he would have sinned. Right? That's what we believe happens when our children disobey us. Right? They are breaking the fifth commandment. They are violating the law of God. And what's required when we violate the law of God? We seek the forgiveness of the Lord God. And this is something that Luke's doing here again. He's showing to us how much the Lord Jesus valued the law of God. And this is why later on in Matthew chapter 5, when he is preaching the Sermon on the Mount... He will tell all those listings that He has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. They're in Matthew 5.17. Because again, that's required for each and every one of us to be saved and to be brought out of the depths of hell. Is that Jesus in every way fulfills the law of God. And the only way that He could do that 
is if he had a true body and a reasonable soul. If he was just like we are. Yet without sin. And we see this as Jesus here in verse 51 again as it says that he was subject to them. And again, notice what else is said here. This is the third time Luke says this. And if the Bible tells us something more than once, what should we probably do? Right? We should probably listen. Right? If our parents say something more than once, what should we probably do? Right? Listen to them. Right? Because it's important. That's why it's being repeated. We're told here that Mary puts this into her heart. Right? She kept all these things in her heart. And this is something that, 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 that's important, not just as Luke using it as a device, but again, teaching us something about the relationship of Mary and Jesus. You see, Mary and Joseph knew that they were the mother and father of Jesus. And that they had been given an awesome responsibility by God to raise Him up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. But Mary and Joseph also understood who Jesus was. They understood that He was the Son of God. And that he had been born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem for a purpose. Now, of course, we see in this passage that Mary and Joseph don't always remember that. And why do Mary and Joseph not always remember it? Again, what are Mary and Joseph? They're sinners, right? Yeah. Even though they have Jesus in the home, they still sin. And why do they sin? Because they're sinners. Because they bear the state of Adam on their hearts. Because they are growing in sanctification. Growing in understanding. Growing in knowledge. And of course, this isn't the only time we'll see Mary kind of forget who Jesus is. Later on in the Gospel of John, we have that scene where Mary and the brothers of Jesus come to kind of collect Him. Right? They, they've heard things about Jesus causing trouble. Right? He's out you know, preaching and people are being disturbed by it. And not wanting to have you know, something bad said about the family, Mary and the brothers go and do what? They say, I think it's time to come home, Jesus, right? And how does Jesus respond to what Mary says? And he looks around the crowd and says, These are my brothers and my sisters. Those who do the will of the Father. Those who are resting and trusting in me. And it's an important thing to see as Luke is establishing this relationship between Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That it, when it comes to the relationship as mother and father, Jesus is obedient in every way. But when it comes to this question about whose uh, authority is greater, Mary and Joseph or God the Father, again we see here this testimony as it says in verse 49, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? And remember, Jesus is about 12 years old at this time. Uh, and that's kind of traditionally understood to be how old he is. And how is it that he's come to know that he is to be about his father's business. Again, this, is, this goes back again to the relationship between Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. You know, Mary and Joseph, again, as we said, have been given this responsibility to raise Jesus up in the knowledge of God. And how is Jesus going to learn about these things? 
Well, we're, we're told this at the very beginning of the passage in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And this isn't a throwaway line. This is a testimony to the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. Because if they're taking the time to travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem every year for uh, the Passover, what do you think they're doing every week? Every week they're bringing Jesus to the synagogue. Every week they're bringing Jesus to sit in the house of the Lord, even when He's a small child. It's not only so that He can experience the life of the synagogue, but again, I think all of us can testify, it's amazing how much children hear. Especially when you don't think they're listening. And Jesus, even as a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, is hearing the Word of God read. Right? It is going in His ears and going into His brain. He is hearing these things and He's, he, he's being kind of uh, inculcated with the Word of God. And think about when he hears Isaiah 40 read. Think about what he hears when Isaiah 7 is read. Think about what he hears when Zechariah chapter 10 is read. Again, we think about this testimony and the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. And bringing Jesus to the synagogue every week. And the purpose was not just to kind of fulfill some kind of cultural responsibility. You know, that's what good people do. You know, bring their children to synagogue every week. But they understood that there was something happening in the synagogue every week. Again, not only that God had commanded that they be there, but they understood that their son, Jesus, was learning in the midst of the worship of God. And he was learning about what business his father had called him to do. And this is a a testimony again to the nature of why it is that we can rest and trust in Jesus Christ. Because when we think about the trials and tribulations of our lives, it's important to understand that Jesus is not Superman. Right? There's this, I've seen this all over the place, but there's this uh, meme going around, you know, Jesus sitting on a thing with all bunch of superheroes. Again, that's not what Jesus is, right? He's not a superhero. He is true man. He has a reasonable soul. Jesus does not have superpowers. He's not able to leap tall buildings. He's not able to do these things. And why is that? Because he has a true body, Right? Jesus was, uh, was an average-sized uh, Palestinian man. Well, he probably couldn't run the 100 meters in 9 seconds. Right? He probably ran it in 14, 15 seconds. Right? He was a normal human being. Again, he was physically just like us. When he fell, he skinned his knee, he bled real blood. He felt pain like we do. Again, the, the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews makes... Uh, you know, great pains to point out this reality. Hebrews 2.17, he says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And when we fall and skin our knees, what is our comfort? Not only that somebody's going to come along and pick us up and, and clean the wound, 
But our comfort is, is that Jesus Christ knows what that is. Right? He's not only experienced it in some kind of esoteric way, but it's actually happened to him. This is what Paul's talking about in Hebrews chapter 2. Again, therefore in all things he had to make like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Likewise, in Hebrews chapter 4 it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus... You know, when uh, there uh, was a situation in which you know, he was tempted, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4 that he did not engage in sin in the midst of it. And why was that? There's two reasons there. One, you know, one of the things we testify is that not only could Jesus not, uh, didn't sin, Jesus could not sin. Yet we see here again that there was no, uh, no amount of trying by Satan himself uh, to cause Jesus to sin. It's not just the, the Matthew chapter 4 passage which we're all aware of. Right? There were multiple times where, where Jesus was uh, accosted by the Pharisees who tried to catch him in some kind of trap. And again, notice what Jesus does, both with Satan himself in Matthew 4 and with the Pharisees. Where does his recourse in his answers to them? Is it to some secret knowledge? His answers are always with the Holy Scriptures. His answers are always with the Word God had revealed unto him. Again, this testimony is important as we read Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. Because again, Jesus Christ knows what it means uh, to suffer. Jesus Christ knows what it means to deal with sinful family members. Think of uh, John chapter 7. Remember there as Jesus is in the house with his brothers and his brothers kind of start mocking him and making fun of him. And, and they say, well, why don't you go down to Jerusalem, Jesus? Isn't that where you're supposed to be? And again, how does Jesus respond? Of course, I know how I would have responded in that situation. Now, I didn't have brothers, but I had sisters who picked on me a good bit. And I picked on them a good bit. And we all have had those relationships, whether uh, with brothers and sisters or with friends, who, who, who we respond sinfully to. Husbands and wives, same uh, situation. But what do we see Jesus do? Again, he, he speaks to them in a comforting way. He speaks to them as a brother to a brother. And he, he speaks to them, again, because He knows the temptation that is within their hearts. He knows that they are unbelievers at that point in the Gospel of John. And they don't know what they are saying. In this testimony, this idea again that Jesus, again, experiencing everything that we have experienced yet without sin, is supposed to be and should be a great comfort unto us as we face trials and tribulations in this life. And that, that, that Jesus, in every way, was like us. As it says in Hebrews 2, again, that He was made like His brethren. And Jesus did not just come and inhabit somebody else's flesh, use it for 33 years, and then throw it away at the cross. Why does Jesus sweat blood? 
in Gethsemane. Why does Jesus weep at the death of Lazarus? Why uh, does Jesus get righteously angry at the temple? And why do these things take place? Again, these are not showpieces. And these are the testimony of a real man. And you think about, especially the Lazarus scene. And Jesus knew what the Old Testament taught about His work. He knew what the Old Testament had said about the nature of the resurrection. He knew that Lazarus was a righteous man. And He knew what He was there to do that day, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet, what do we see Jesus do? All right? He doesn't kind of walk in there like, a, like, some, like some kind of stiff upper lip stoic and say, I got this, it's not a big deal, everything's going to be fine, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, what does he do when he sees uh, the sisters of Lazarus? He weeps. He weeps because he knows the anguish and the pain of loss. Again, in a way that we do. One of the things that the Scriptures tell us in silence is, is that Joseph died at some point in time in Jesus' early life. You know, Joseph is nowhere around when Jesus begins his public ministry. And Jesus knows that pain. He knows the pain of losing his father. His earthly father, but his father indeed. In this father whom he had been subject to, as Luke tells us in 2.51. And this is a wonderful testimony of why it is that we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we can trust in Him, especially as we are facing uh, the many things we face from day to day. And we don't have a God who is far from us, who knows not the things of the lives that we lead. And we don't have a God who cannot sympathize with us. Now, this is the God whom we have. This Jesus Christ who grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And think about what Luke is saying there in, in saying that he grew and increased in wisdom and stature. Now, how do you grow in wisdom? And when we understand wisdom, you know, we, we differentiate between wisdom and knowledge. Right? You know, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, we know plenty of people who are smart. Right? People who are very intelligent. People who know a lot of things, but have trouble putting their pants on in the morning. Right? Yeah, that's what we understand about wisdom, right? Wisdom is kind of earned knowledge, right? It's lived knowledge. And we think of wise people. Who do we think of? We think of people who have not only experienced a lot of things, but who show in their reactions to these things you know, an understanding spirit. Somebody who's wise doesn't fly off the handle at every little thing that happens. Somebody who's wise understands God's providential work through history. Somebody who's wise is not only understanding of the situation, but again, they understand what the future beholds in the midst of things. And this is what Jesus is learning as He's growing. Right? He's, he's growing in that knowledge right, of, his, of His Father's woodchop. And He's growing in His knowledge of the Scriptures. But he's also growing in his understanding of God's love for him. 
You think of the great high priestly prayer in John 17. Why does Jesus know in the midst of that prayer that the work that God had appointed for Him had been accomplished? Right? It's not just because that's what the Bible says. It's because God had been faithful to Him throughout His entire existence. It's because God had showed Himself to be a gracious and loving Heavenly Father every day of His life. When He is being tempted by Satan in Matthew 4, and Jesus is responding with Scripture, we see in that testimony His understanding of who God is. That it's not God's will that He worships Satan. It's not just because the Bible tells us not to worship Satan. It's because He loves His Heavenly Father more than these things. Than these earthly things, these earthly realities, these earthly uh, uh, items. It's true of, of what Jesus would have sung, most especially as uh, He is growing in the faith. In Psalm 87, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Again, that's a testimony of a wise man. And that's what we hear from the lips of Jesus as He prays to His Father in John 17. In the, the, this nature of, uh, of not only what God has done for Him, but what God will do for Him. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, and He is being beaten, and He is being whipped, and He is bleeding real blood, and he is, He's experiencing the, the, the wickedness of the cross... What, what do we hear him say? And we hear him quoting scripture, but what does he say? He says, into what? Into your hands I commit my spirit. And, and why does he say that? And he's not just kind of quoting scripture so the gospel writers have something to put there. Yet he knows in the depths of his soul, in the depths of his heart, that he is going into the presence of his father. Because his father had promised to him in the scriptures, had promised to him throughout his life that this would be the way. That's why he tells the 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 robber who was on the cross with him, "Today I will be with you in paradise." Because again, where does his body go? Right, Joseph Arimathea places it in the tomb. But again, His reasonable spirit, this spirit which has learned, this spirit which has received wisdom, this spirit which knows the Heavenly Father, knows that even in the midst of all of the wickedness, all of the evil, all of the physical pain of the cross, that the promise of God has been true unto Him. He has the assurance of the Holy Spirit dwelling within Him. And as He goes into the heavens, as He goes into the presence of His heavenly Father, most assuredly the words on His lips were similar to the words that we see on the front of our bulletin every week. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. For that's where Jesus went on that day. He went into the house of the Lord. The ultimate place where He longed to be. 
And so brothers and sisters, as we you know, think about the, the, the humanity of Jesus Christ, and why it matters that Jesus has a real body and a, a reasonable soul, why it matters for our salvation. Again, it's, it, it, it's ultimately tied into this reality that we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses because he knows those weaknesses. Because he's been made like his brethren. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Brothers and sisters, let us go from this place again learning not only the knowledge of these things, but let us be wise in our love for our Savior and for our glorious Heavenly Father who has sent Him that all who rest and trust in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give